the invasion of the continent was at hand. Hello. Hey, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Good. Mm. You fit, sound... It's like an sound, old glove. You sound uh, like you're on a wireless set. Oh, do I? Yeah, or like a faraway um, <clears throat> small phone. Oh, is it like quiet? You know, it might be that turn, I, turned, turn, 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 I turned my volumes down. Turn your volumes up and I will hopefully be here. Oh, that's much better. You sound much closer now that my volumes are up. It's probably because I'm speaking like this. <laughs> that's, a, that's a weird thing. About a ship lies rigged and ready <laughs> in the harbor. Closeness and loudness. Did you ever get into Roger Whitaker when you were a kid? Not when I was a kid because my mom hated country music. Uh, but, you know, he and Slim Whitman were, uh, they were, they were both the side door entries in my house. Side door entry? Well, yeah, you know, you got Slim Whitman. A lot of people don't realize they know him from the TV ads like Roger Whitaker. Right. He was an, he was an accomplished yodeler. Yodel, yeah. Yodelesque. And, uh, and, you know, uh. Um, yodelesque. <laughs> <laughs> Is that that French painter I'm thinking of? Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. Yodelesque. Jacques, Jacques Yodelesque. <laughs> Oh, he's the guy that did the uh, rectangles, right? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Let me start over. Um, yeah, you know, that one Roger Whitaker song always got, uh, they call it, the Germans call it an earworm scheisse. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right, earworm scheisse, yeah. <laughs> At my house, the sign said, hippies use the side door, <laughs> and then the side door was boarded up. <laughs> so uh... I didn't get into country music. My mom hated John Denver. She hated country music so thoroughly that she hated John Denver all through the 70s, which made me... Kind of a pariah with the with the girl, the proto Fleet Foxes fans <laughs> of 1975, 76. And, and remember, your mom disliked him for probably unconventional reasons, because, I mean, in an ideal world, your mom would potentially be in the top three to five tiers of the John Denver target audience. Well, except that this is the this is the curious thing. My mom is from northwestern Ohio. And uh, in my extensive investigations of America, <laughs> I have come to realize that the South, what we, re- what we refer to as the South, the Southern states, mm-hmm. the Confederacy, mm. really technically, the Confederacy reaches its northern point in central Ohio. Oh, brother, don't I know it. And, you know, Ohio went with the Union, but in every other respect, Southern Ohio is part of the American South. It was probably it was probably for tax reasons. As you know, I'm from Cincinnati yeah. and it is it's it's pretty much exactly what it sounds like, which is exactly between Indiana and Kentucky. Cincinnatus. Cincinnatus, Cincinnatus the great uh, the great Roman yodeler. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cincinnati So you but, think uh, that was her rejecting her her rural past or the border stuff? Well, not her rural past. I think that I think that uh it, it, particularly if you read the book, the great book the great American history book, Albion's Seed, which talks about the, the four great migrations of people from England, England, or rather the United Kingdom. Because you've told me before, John, that this was a problem of Scots persons versus English persons. That's Scot- the, yeah. the war Scot- between the states, right? Scots persons versus English persons, but also Puritans and Quakers being mistaken for one another. And my mother, my mother's people, we have determined, my mom and I have spent many hours discussing this. We have determined that they were, in fact, Quaker people hmm. who moved west 
in a very th- because because as you know, if the South is all the way up through Central Ohio in every in every way, spiritually, in every, every meaningful, culturally, practical in every, way, in every meaningful, <laughs> practical way, the South ends in Lima, Ohio. <laughs> and that means that the that the North, the Northern states at that point are squeezed into a very narrow band between between Northern Ohio and the lake. Right? Huh. I mean, there's it's. There's there is no state above Ohio. You're saying there's a, there's a, there's a small civic aperture in which that can fit in. Exactly. Hmm. And then and then you know of course the north then expands out in the west and you know you could you could argue that there's certainly great, Washington like, and yeah. Oregon are are union. Oh, absolutely. Like, like a great delta, a north flowing delta. Exactly. But so so I, I think right up close to the lake in Ohio, those were Puritans. <clears throat> You know the the the, the uh, rather the the um, the progeny of Puritans, and then there was this little narrow band of of Quakers that moved through central northern Ohio, and then it was all Scots Irish, it's Scots uh, Scots Irish all the way down <laughs> until you hit the French down in the in the all the way down. God, I wish they'd hit the French in the, in the sewers of America. But in any case, my mother's prejudice against country music comes from comes from a very old Ohio prejudice against southern hillbillies, which they regarded, you know, Appalachian people, which they regarded even within the state of Ohio as being a subclass. I get it. Of whites. It's almost like uh, castes in India, yeah, right? There's precise. always somebody or indie rock or Star Trek. You can always look down on somebody. Precisely. Precisely. <laughs> so when people started... In the in the forties and fifties, when yo, when yodeling music became popular on the radio, in the in the in the personage of uh, Hank Williams Sr., my mom was in, instantly rejected it because it seemed to her to be it was white trash music, basically. And she wanted, and, if anything, she wanted to distance herself from that. Yeah, and that's that, interesting. That, and that prejudice against honky tonk sounding fiddle playing music which she knew from her young childhood as being the music of itinerant uh you know white farm laborers and people who live down around around cincinnati <laughs> let alone guilty <laughs> further south down there around that kentucky border where all goes to hell it must also be like the soundtrack for want in her mind like it's it's got to be you know what I mean you don't want to listen to the to the yodeling break man because it reminds you of being out of corn. <laughs> That's exactly right. It's like <laughs> he says, "I got all pig iron. I got all pig iron. I fooled you. I fooled you." So anybody anyway, mom, gets food, but you. My mom was putting thumbs down on it. I get all it the way, all the way through the seventies, and it was not until. She was forced to enjoy indie rock because her son was a purveyor. <laughs> she was your business manager. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that even, even until 2003, if she saw, if she saw a Telecaster, <laughs> she immediately was like, you know, a needle scratching across the record. And only, only in 2003, when, when, uh, when, the Long Winters started, you know, when the Long Winters had Peter Buck play mandolin on cinnamon, <laughs> did my mom, like, concede that maybe, you know, maybe she could she could give a listen to Wilco and it wasn't going to kill her. 
So country music, mm. no Roger, long and the short of it, no Roger Whitaker in my life until Jesse Sykes huh. and, uh, and the sweet hereafter. Jesse Sykes would have me over to her apartment sometimes and play Roger Whitaker records for me. That was the excuse? Because they were, they were a big influence on her. And that was her. And then she would, you know, she would come out. Mm-hmm, mm. She would come out of the back bedroom holding a Roger Whitaker record and nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I would say, oh, let's huh. put it on. See what that sounds like. And that's when I learned. like Dressed, dressed as sexy Buck Owens. <laughs> All... All swayed. Come plow my Bakersfield. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this from short story class. There's this uh, <clears throat> really. I just heard, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. but I just heard a scream outside. <laughs> uh, here or there? Uh, it was outside of my house. D- d- did you just hear a scream? No, outside? but I have to imagine that if you hear a scream in your neighborhood, I'm just guessing you figure somebody had it coming. Well, I do, but ha- will you will you will you play a little hold music for just a second? Yeah, sure. I'm gonna, go I'm go gonna right run ahead. and look out the window. Hang yeah. on, just a second. <clears throat> It seems uh, it seems all right. It seems like the, the street is clear, and uh, there's oh, good. No, good, good. Nobody, no, no gunfire to follow up. There's nobody screaming still, so I feel like the neighborhood has resolved. Mm, okay, here's the thing. <clears throat> you may remember this from uh, short story class. Alice Walker, short story, uh, Everyday Use. And it was a story about a, like, basically, uh, uh, you know, uh, Afro-wearing, forward-thinking, Afro-American young woman who, who comes home from college and wants her grandmother's quilt hmm. as basically a Afro, as we say then, uh, as basically, you know, an African-American artifact. Right. And they're like, no, we still use this. And she says, she, the, the thrust of the story in the title is it's too good for everyday use. Right, right, right. It becomes, a, I have one of those here at my house, a, a quilt that my great grandmother made. Almost everything in your house is too good for everyday use. Yeah, that's isn't true. It? That's I true. Mean, unless you want to really burn. <laughs> I just, on my way home, I, I, uh, speaking of afros, I saw a, a young man in his mid 20s mm-hmm. wearing a full on kid and play hair tower. A, 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 is it called a fade? A f- but, but tall fade, like high, tall high, fade. high fade. In, he's in his mid twenties, so it's he, uh, so he's doing this as a retro gesture, and he was driving a convertible red Jaguar, <laughs> and I, I I felt like pulling over, getting out of my car, and applauding <laughs> as he drove by because I just felt like, yes, thank you, thank you. You're, you know, you should be allowed to give out citations to people, not in the bad way. You yeah. should be able to give cite- people citations for winning the day. Yeah. You should be able to go to him and give him a handsome certificate and say, "Sir, you just won the day." Well, and this is the, this is why I feel, Merlin, that technology has not, it, despite all of our handheld uh, uh, gizmos, mm. technology has not caught up to what we imagined it would be, because uh, routinely, and I'm talking about ten times a day, I'm driving, and I would like to send a message to the driver in front of me, <laughs> the driver beside me, or the driver behind me, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's, a, I would just like to send them a personal message mm. that would show up on their dashboard. For 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 a minute, you know, like for for just just for thirty seconds, I would like to be able to, and I think every driver should have this ability, to be able to send a message to the driver in front of them, next to them, or behind them. And sometimes I sometimes that message is a citation, 
in the form of, you are doing an excellent job driving, and I am having a very good time following you because you are you are navigating through traffic in a way that I admire, and I am I am keeping pace with you just so that I can admire your it's drive. An, it's an honor to not need to tailgate you. Exactly. Yes, I would just I I would like to I would just like to commend you, and I know that at a certain point you are going to take an exit or you're going to go in a different direction, and I would just like to leave you with a gold star. And I feel like there should I should have the ability to put, type your license plate into into my device and say send send a message to. X license plate. Nicely done, gold star. Now, would you only send kind messages, John? No, absolutely okay. not. I would right. also say, I would, I would send messages like, lower your brights. And if, you, if, if it is not a case where your brights are on, but that you have halogen lights in your car, and they are, and they are inaccurately aimed, you need to go to a service station and have the man aim them properly. Yes. And if it is... The technology's a, there, John. If it is not a case of improperly aimed halogens, but just that you have made a modification to your car and put illegally bright lights in your car, mm. I would like you to take the car to a crusher. <laughs> I would like you to remain in the car while the car is crushed. But for the system to work, yes, A, there has to be a way for you to send this to someone, approximate driver. Um, I, I, think, uh, I, think, I think B, uh, there has to be some way for them to have to read it. Like maybe they only the car will only run. Maybe you get only so many of these a day. Maybe there's some some kind of economics to it. You get like two a day. Right? Yeah, right. Exactly. So so everybody gets two a day. You don't become you have, a nuisance. You have to reserve them. You can't just be driving down the road saying "fuck you, fuck you, fuck you." But if you have not responded appropriately within 15 seconds, the car literally blows up. Yeah. Right. Or all all four wheels go. Well, the, flat. Yeah. The tires blow out. But all, all the time you want to say like, "Stop looking at your phone. It is impairing your driving." Stop Stop driving 50 miles an hour in the fast lane. You are causing a traffic jam. You want to be able to send these simple messages. You could just have a li- It could be like a Terminator screen where it's just like, fuck you, asshole. You get you to call you it a heads up, the- heads up display. Yeah, that's right. That's and it right. should just appear on there. You, and you, I, think, I think this two or three a day and advanced drivers should maybe get four or five. Okay. Um, uh, I would like to come back to the idea of, of what I'm going to call skipping a generation. If, if we have time later, I want to circle back to that. But here's what I'm going to tell you about that. I think I think it's fucking sickening that you can go out and just because the dim sum place that's been open for a week accidentally had one bad night and you and your friends from San Francisco State University collapse on that place on Yelp and you can put it out of business literally within right. three business days. Right. I think it's sick. It's fucking sickening to me that you can do that, but you can't take a truly dangerous 80-year-old woman driving 50 miles an hour off the road. Yes. Don't you I think, think? I mean, doesn't that seem bizarre that you could have some some kind of woofy on, on, on Yelp, but yeah. you don't have a way to have like forced larger letters on the heads up display for the person in front of you? Well, or here's what we're talking about. If you could Yelp somebody's driver's license plate yeah. and, send, and those Yelp reviews would go and be reviewed at the Department of Motor Vehicles uh. periodically – and have you got no, no, enough, I think from a public tribunal. DMV's got plenty on their plate. You should be part of a public tribunal that is that is trying people <laughs> based on their automotive Yelp reviews. Now, here's the thing. You know what I don't need? I don't need a, to send things. Google Maps will now let you send things to a car. I don't need that. And no. that's, that's like the opposite of what I need. That's right. What, what I need is this, and you know what, they got all the, I don't want to get started on the NSA thing, right? It's been a while since we chatted. A lot, a lot has happened. I've seen a lot That's of true. World War II movies. That's but, true. But we don't have to catch up on. Uh, you know, a lot of concerned citizens have been c- contacting me offline. How's that? A man, a man, a concerned citizen today. Yes. yes. Took me aside in real life mm-hmm. and pulled up on his phone the last 
half a dozen uh, episodes of Roderick on the Line podcast. Mm. Oh, no. And he said, would you like to see the dates of the last six <gasps> oh, gosh. Roderick on the Line podcasts? I, and I, I said, yeah. no, not really. And he said, well, let me show them to you anyway. And uh, and then he, he proceeded to publicly shame me. It's a timeliness issue. Well, he, he's saying, he's, he said, he actually said, do you want to see the next, do you want to see the last six episodes of the Mark Marin podcast? And, and I, I would said, say, I would say no. I said, I have no interest at all in seeing Absolutely that. not. And he said, well, let me just, let me just in shorthand, clear this up for you that yeah. in the last two months, he has made a lot more podcasts than you and Merlin have. And I was like, oh my goodness. Message received. Oh my goodness. Community Person. college. My you know gosh, where, where do you, where do you begin? Uh, wow. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, but, but, but I think, I feel like we have gotten into it right away here. Yeah. Well, I'm, glad, I'm glad we got that out of the way, John. I mean, I, I feel like I need an app just to keep track of my interventions at this point. So I'm just we, glad I don't have to deal with that right now. <laughs> we, but we already have, we already have established in this podcast already, mm-hmm. and it's just a few minutes in yes. that, that we need some kind of system like maybe uh, from that Swedish movie where the punk rock girl uh, was uh, tracking as some kind of serial killer. Oh, the girl with the regret in her face. Yeah, the girl with the, the girl regret. Who's in her the, face. the girl who stomped on the uh, hornet's face. The girl with the the shison in the uh, yes. in the, sh- the, the shusen sitter. There's different versions of that. The, she, let, let the right bring version. in. Yeah. But anyway, what she did at one point was she tied up her attacker and she tattooed a rapist on his uh, somewhere on him. Is that a pictogram? Somewhere, no, I think it was the actual words. Oh, rape and and shison. (laughs) But it was in Swedish, so he could just move to a different country. And then he'd be like, oh, yeah, that's my hometown. (laughs) He'd just have to stay away from the six people who speak Swedish in Europe. Yeah, he moved to Spain, and they'd be like, hey, nice tattoo. And he'd be like, yeah, well, I'm kind of a little bit of a radical outsider outsider artist. (laughs) But in any case, if we had the ability, based on Yelp reviews of license plates... To have public tribunals where the result was that we tattooed some some form of like uh, uh, bad driver, bad person, yeah, bad person, really. John, I I, I don't want to get us derailed here, but at this point we need an intern because you're on to like four or five different thematic things that are becoming extremely important to me, and they they keep coming up again and again, which makes me think they're important. So yes, first of all, there should be a way that your will can be opposed upon strangers. Let's just let's just let's let's just get that out of the way. Reed, we've established that. Okay, <laughs> that's been stipulated from pretty early right. on, uh-huh. right? Uh, there should be a way to force force people to hear what you have to say and then respond appropriately and in a timely manner. In a timely manner. Right. You can't just let the heads up thing sit there for a week because then you'll steam, right? Sure. I like the idea of the tribunal. No question about it. Sometimes I think you've, you've been, you've been a gentleman about it and I know you're busy. You got a lot on your plate. You might not have time to lead that many tribunals. Maybe you could manage other tribunal managers. It seems like if we get a, if we get a baseline of rules, mm-hmm. people are then operating according to what, what, you know, what constitutes a system. If there are questions, it's like any, any court system. You do your best. You become like an existential referee. If there are questions, you bump it up to a higher court. <laughs> I like it. You're, 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 you know what? You could just be available. You could be up there in your bathrobe and your scimitar, up, uh, up in your, uh, up in your garret. Yeah. And occasionally, people would just. You know, I get, I get a lot of emails and tweets already of people asking me questions to, to adjudicate was, matters. Yeah, if it was a system where it was, <laughs> I mean, you, you, you remember, you remember the two kids that came up to me in Portland and wanted me to to figure out their relationship uh, situation. And, uh, and you know, I, I, I spelled that out for him 
Sounds kind of like a Judge John Hodgman kind of thing. In about three minutes, it does kind of sound like that. I yeah. don't want to. I don't want to tread. But here's on the his thing. Tongue. Here's the thing that John Hodgman will not do is tattoo people be, against their will. This and I believe this came up at least once before. I, I I don't listen to our program that often, but I believe this came up in a discussion of going through the line at the airport, where oh. you should have to prove. Oh, you go through the clear lane. I don't know if that even exists anymore. But like, yeah. there should definitely be a way. I think based on. I think I'm trying to remember where we left it. I think one one place we left your idea. I believe was to either I think slay them or oh. give them a tattoo and i wanted a way for them to be able to bring their grade up i wanted them to have a way of saying basically a yelp first of all can i just say i fucking hate yelp i, I really yeah, yeah, hate I yelp. do too i do and too I hate, already said it a bunch of a bunch of times oh it's really frustrating yeah, the, the nsa is already like uh marking this down in their yelp discussion well, I want to come back to that too, because I'm, I'm, I'm not contrarian necessarily, but I will say that when we get access to what's actually in that data, oh boy, we're going to do stuff with that the government has no idea that mm. they could even do. You know what I'm saying? Arr, yeah, do you understand what you and I could do with Excel and that information? Do you know how many <laughs> things we could fix? Yeah, I'm, I'm compiling a list of keywords right now in my mind. It would take like an afternoon to yeah. just get rid of so many problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the, here's the problem with forced tattooing. It has a bad <laughs> history in the 20th century. Right. Okay, there well, maybe it, could be, maybe it could be a tribal scarring. Okay, all right, ritual scarring. Yeah. Yeah, 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 maybe there's like... All, there's all kinds of ways to fuck somebody up, John. You, you, I used to go to parties, and there was a... There, it was during... I used to go to parties, but, but mm. also I used to go to parties in the 90s where it was popular to stick a fork in the uh, electric burner of the stove at the party house, and uh. everybody would, you know, in uh, a certain group of people would give themselves, like, fork burns as a way of... Like being modern primitives. One trade paperback of Research Magazine and so many lives ruined. That's exactly right. You know, that's all it takes. You go down to the independent bookstore, you pick that up, and then and, and pretty soon you look like a look like a, a holder for kitchen gadgets. Yeah, pre- pretty soon you've got uh, all you can do anymore is look at vivisection photographs because you've lo- you've become desensitized. To... You, can't, you can't masturbate to anything normal, and you can't really even <laughs> masturbate. Yeah, you just want you just want to go to a slaughterhouse. You got a, you got a Prince Philip. You got a Prince Philip of Spain in there. You got your penis velcroed to your lip. I, I mean, I, Jesus, I, fuck, John. I think tattooing is a wonderful way. Mm. I mean, already people very thoughtfully are putting big tattoos of like um, Mexican prayer candle images of the Virgin Mary right on the side of their neck. Uh, so that you don't, you no longer really have to to ask yourself in a group of people like, who are the dingalings <laughs> in this group of people? The dingalings are self are are self branding, and they're saying, right. "I'm a dingaling. <laughs> right. I have I have a big Madonna on my neck." If you've got, let's put it this way: if you have a notional room with a million people in it, and you have to quickly decide which point zero one percent just have bad judgment without having any time to talk to anybody, ask people to remove. Everything from the top of their head to the bottom of their neck, and in about mm. in about two minutes you're gonna be you're gonna be good to go. You're gonna have way more than point zero one percent. You're sure, gonna have you're a gonna large call, call the dinglings right away. That's right, and and give them give them a special task. Yeah, you there with the Saint Jude. Let's move on. <laughs> like, Talk about hey, hopeless. W- hey, Jesus. Would you guys would you guys take some of this Zyklon B and go put it in that bathtub for me? Okay, uh, <clears throat> so. Stare. Ah, saw the longest day. Wait a minute, did you just hit a bell accidentally, or was that like a muted? That I've never, and... I've never hit the bell more deliberately, and I've never muted it more quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Call it Carolina Shisa. Blink. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> so uh the point being like, anyway you got yelp. like a little shot of chew spit <laughs> into, a, into a you mean like a like a like a blazing saddle sort of yeah. 
into the, sp- into the spittoon across the again. Wait. Wait, hang on. Hot. Ah. Mm. Okay, uh, we've got skipping a generation. We've got Yelp. Uh, boy, we got a lot to cover, John. But I, I, you know what? Can I just say one thing? Uh, I, I don't want to get too nostalgic about this program we used to do, but yeah. it really does warm my heart. How often? Uh, first of all, it, I, I don't. It's not. It's not annoying to be reminded that I haven't done the show because let's let's just let me just tell you. I'm aware how long it's been since we've. Yeah, we're not on. doing it to provoke you. Maybe. Yeah. Oh, you're talking to the listeners now. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I know it's it's unseemly to speak to our audience. Yeah, it is. But um, uh, but they like. I, I get the I get the impression that they periodically yes. like it. I think they, I think they they've missed it. They've missed it. You know what it is? You know what it is? It's like your parents or your or your or your mate. You miss them so much until you see them again. Yeah. Or your kids. Let's be honest. And you think, boy, I really missed you pretty recently, didn't I? That's really weird. Yeah. Now we're back. But now I've been listening. And we're figuring out how to kill you with poison and tattoo you. You've made fifteen uh, subtle uh, Holocaust references, and you've me? insulted probably me or my family. Am I, am I speaking to listeners? <laughs> um, <clears throat> there's so many ways in which I would like to see your will imposed on people. I think people have missed that. Um, uh, skipping. I'm feeling better. I'm feeling more willful lately. You sound good. You sound. You sound like you're on top of your game. Are you having more chili? What, what's going on? Well, uh, no. I, in fact. I'm seriously con- contemplating now that I have not taken any steps uh, toward this. In fact, uh, so anyway, I'm seriously con- con- contemplating uh, doing uh, some kind of low carbohydrate diet. And a- as I've been thinking about it, I've been eating uh, more and more pasta just to get it out of my cupboards. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just as I, just as when I decided I was going to quit drinking, I went on a, a uh, I started drinking rye uh, uh, for, uh, oh, wow. <laughs> for a month and a half. Just I know, wish I could really, have been there to help you to really spirit spirit it along, spirit but, uh, it away. But so I'm I, I'm I'm contemplating this low carbohydrate diet. I'm still battling ants in my apartment. Oh, John. Um. Uh. And and, and so they're really getting me down. I was gone for two. Getting weeks. rid of the I, sugar would help. I have no idea what these ants are eating. There is nothing in my house. I emptied it of food, and I was gone for two weeks. I hermetically sealed it, and I came back, and they were just they were just having a party, just doing the things that they do. Do you have I, Grant? Do you have Grant's ant steaks? Have you tried those? They're very rewarding. Do you have those? Grant's no. ants. You can remember because it rhymes. What is it? Grant's ants. Uh, you get these little things, and it looks. Uh, you get this little thing. It's like a little silver thing with a hole in it. It's on a little plastic spiky thing. So you can either stick it into the ground outside, or you can just lay it down inside, and it yeah. does a job. It does a number, as they say, on ants. It's pretty good. You put it wherever they're likely to walk. It's really yeah. gratifying. It's like we uh, we get mice in our garage occasionally, and I put down way more traps than I need to just because I love finding dead mice. <laughs> and I'm, I've gotten so good at it, and there's so little, and I've yeah. gotten really, really good at it. Yeah, and I like to think I like to leave them there for a couple, three days. I don't know if it actually helps. Just but as I, a warning to the other yeah, mice. Yeah, it's a Mussolini in the square type situation. Mm-hmm. Sort uh, of a Vlad, Vlad the Impaler. ghetto thing. It sends a message. Yeah. Um, uh, but no, okay, so I want to talk about the carbs, too. And I want to talk about Alice Walker and Yelp. Um, you, you, I mean, you know how uninteresting talking about carbohydrates is. I, I'm, I'm gonna say one thing about that, John. It makes yeah. a huge difference. Well, and that's what. I, Do you remember and, that and, you first met me when I was uh, eating nothing but bacon? That wasn't I long re- after we met. I remember. I remember. And I'm and I'm looking forward to something making a huge difference in my life. Oh God, me too. I've been really craving that. I've been really tired lately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. Tired, uh, old, uh, uh, ineffectual, ants, uh, un- unlovable, yeah, uh, marginalized. Uh, you know, I bought some pink pants. I'm wearing purple sneakers. Yeah, and I th- I'm I'm hoping that pink pants are a thing that are going to give me a, they're going to give me a new lease on life. Pink pants, and then the halitosis that comes from ketosis, <laughs> and that's going to be the thing that makes halitosis, me more, more ketosis. 
more people come, as I walk through the town. People are going to be like that guy with the bad breath in the pink pants has a youthful glow. First of all, are the pants comfortable? Do they do they fit you appropriately? <clears throat> well, so this is the thing about so pink they draw pants. stringed. No, not draw stringed. Nope. What do you think is happening to me? <laughs> I'm not, you want something I'm not, you just slap at to get? Them I'm not an astronaut. I'm not going all the way to like. Okay. Hey, they have tubes. <laughs> No, no. I, the, the, for, as far as I can tell, the choice of pink pants, the, the valid choice of pink pants, leaving aside anything with drawstrings, you can either get tight, uh, uh, skinny fit, Uniqlo pink pants that, <laughs> right. that, that like require Project, that Project wear, Runway pants. Yeah, that you require that you wear white sunglasses and have a faux hawk. Excuse me. Which are not, which are not going to look good on me. I'm going to look, I'm going to look like a lollipop. I'm going to look like an Oxford cloth lollipop or you get some proper pink pants that you, that, that an old man on Cape Cod would wear. Oh, like, 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 like from your preppy days, like, like, uh, when right. you could wear normal pants. Yeah. That are, that are pants that might have anchors on them. Right. Or, uh, but, uh, or, but, but unpleated, right? You're not going to have pleats. Unpleated flat front. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to option three. Cotton pants <laughs> in a in a in a light pink color, which is what which is what I got. And I and they are very they're very comfortable. And not, not only are they comfortable to wear, but they are I am very comfortable with what they say about me. You you're comfortable the, with pink. You always have been. Yeah, yeah. I think pink is a hell of a good color for men. And option three. Oh, you could uh, you could <laughs> choose to get comically <laughs> oversized balloony no because once you get it once you get a little heavier than you'd like it's really rewarding to buy pants and extra size big so they don't feel like your fat pants no i can't do that anymore because i'm already at, <laughs> are they out of sizes <laughs> i'm already at the at the limit i'm at the <laughs> limit that i set for myself and, are these um excuse <clears throat> excuse me are, are these a size uh eight uh <laughs> no sir please uh, turn it a, a quarter turn that's an infinity sign <laughs> i think the third option is you buy a pair of white levi's and you dye them pink but i'm not going to do that um uh i don't know if you remember this and i if you do remember please tell it because you'll tell it better than i do but um, I was into the Atkins stuff. As you know, I used to weigh 30 pounds more. Now That's imagine right. me turning to my side and pulling my pants out so you can see how <laughs> large they used to be. You were a bigger man. I was a bigger man. I had orange, orange hair. Um, but, uh, I remember it was, it wasn't when we very first met, but like, I think it was around the time we met, not long after that. It really was like catching fire. I've been doing it for like, I don't know, a, a pretty good while, but it really caught on. Everybody was doing Atkins and you, as if I remember, were just, you were kind of just sick of hearing people talk about Atkins and then, then he died. Yes, and he, you, slipped, do you remember, he slipped on a do, do pat remember, of butter. Do you remember? <laughs> <laughs> do you remember what you said uh, to people who would talk to you about Atkins after uh, that? I don't, I'm not sure. You were talking to a woman uh, who was going on and on about about Atkins. Yeah, I'm telling your story. I hope you don't mind. It's okay. And please. she said, "Oh yeah, Atkins is so much healthier and so so." And and uh, <laughs> say, "Well, well, look look what happened to him." And you and go, "What?" You go, "Well, he died." And he, hit, he he fell. He slipped on ice and fell down. And you go, well, see. <laughs> so I, I I just and the, but obviously your telling of it was better. But that's it. You know, it does make you feel better. You get more energy, but you get uh, to get into that. They call it the induction uh, phase, which is their made up name for the getting the mm-hmm, ketosis mm-hmm, started. Mm-hmm. 
And, and whenever you go to, you know what's fun? You know what's fun to do is go to a, an actual physician that went to an American medical school and tell them about things you read about. They love yeah, that. Sure. Oh, you talk to them about chiropractic. You, too. you go in and, and, and talk to somebody who's actually had a chemistry class and use words like ketosis. Yeah. Well, the, the, as far as I <laughs> it's can, like somebody at the gas station saying to you, you did that one song had like a what so, uh, talking about a sixty fourth flat on it. What was well, that? The, you did that the, one with a string with the string note. What was that? The thing the, the thing about playing guitar is that the barrier to entry is a lot lower. So the guy at the gas station probably <laughs> knows, it for he knows more about it than I do. <laughs> He's in rehab for people with uh, severe head trauma. It's <laughs> it's that easy to pick up. The, what I'm discovering about myself is that I I do not have. I do not have such a sophisticated palate that, that frankly, that I give a shit what, what I eat. You know, like food, True is, that. food is not a form of entertainment Temperature for doesn't seem to come into it. It could be in a can. It could be on a counter. Yeah. It could be covered right. with ants. Listen, if, it ha- if, 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 if the Chef Boyardee has been anywhere close to it, I'm, I know I'm going to enjoy it. But, it but, but, I'm not, but I'm not against, like fancy food but it, it's it's just that food is a kind of like my relationship to food is both like full of boredom and also full of uh like emotional neediness you mm-hmm. know what i mean like i mm-hmm. go downstairs and i make a four pound bowl of <laughs> I, don't even, four, I, don't even, I don't even care what comes next <laughs> a four pound bowl of sugar covered with fat and i sit you know, and I just I let it like drip down my chin, and I'm just mm. eating it, just you know, kind of <laughs> softly crying, and just trying to fill the hole in me with spackle. And I need to I need to break that cycle, yeah, and get into a place where food is dead animals, which is what it should be, mm-hmm. and dead animals in a in just with the with the minimum of baloney. Or rather, if you want to wrap it in bologna, that's fine too. But dead animals with salt and butter. It's yeah. and then I'll just then I'll, I I feel like a lot of my troubles will go away, and I'll stop I'll stop crying while I eat. I will stop <laughs> listening to people talk about food completely instead of like ninety eight percent. Isn't that a huge turnoff? It's all I can do not to tell you like uh, not to tell you not, not not to share with you half a dozen uh, different very strong feelings I have about this because of, <laughs> of the impact that it's had on me. But it's just it's so fucking boring to hear yeah. people talk about food. Oh, I read, I'm going to get rid of all books out of my life too. Oh I my think. god, they're so annoying. The books have got to go. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, it, my house is going to be like one of those houses. It sounds like once you, you finish dinner, you have quite a plan ready here. I think I think I'm going to make my house look like a hotel. Uh, like a, <laughs> you know like what you need? One you of know, those Swedish <gasps> ice hotels. Yeah, <laughs> levels. It's like a ski lodge. You, you know what? Um, great. <laughs> Seinfeld jokes. You you know what you should do? You know, I, the last thing in the world you should do with your actual house, as far as I'm concerned, is turn it into an actual bed and breakfast. But wouldn't it be kind of nice if you made it look like a bed and breakfast and you would just live there? Wouldn't that be nice? Like a bed and breakfast. Yes. It, but the thing is, if you, you have guests a lot and you're a wonderful host. Yeah, yeah thank you. But, thank, yeah, seriously. You, I mean, it's, it's wonderful to be there. But it could be the world's most secure bed and breakfast. Other places you go... There are holes in the perimeter everywhere. They're thinking way more about muffins than about right. somebody getting a clear shot, you know, from uh, 300 yards away. Right, right, right. You know what you can do with a scope? You get one of those browning things. I watched a documentary about snipers the other day. I, I mean, a lot you. of people don't realize how unprotected their bed and breakfast is. 
You put well, down the, you put down some Yahtzee and a fucking family circle from 1982, and you call it a hotel. Fuck that. The thing about a sniper, though, is he's out there, mm-hmm. and you ha- you have to you have to pretty much trust that the sniper is not going to start feeling somewhat. He's not going to start feeling estranged. He's watching. He's watching your perimeter, but he's watching it through a scope. Mm-hmm. So he's only getting some. He's only getting half of the context, and he sees you go out to the mailbox every day. Mm-hmm. He sees <laughs> you talking. Pants. He sees he sees you talking to people. Guy in a guy in a dark sedan drives up. You lean into the window. You talk for a few minutes. He drives away. Pretty soon, the sniper starts to feel. It's just in their nature to feel a creeping paranoia. Right. It's like that other people's lives movie, right? Or uh, you start you start listening in long enough, and pretty soon you're, you're you're part you're part of their lives. Maybe he looks in. He sees some overstuffed pillows or some braille playboys, and he feels he starts feeling. Maybe he wants to you know go spend a couple nights there. Maybe a Liberty weekend. Yeah, he say he starts to say to himself, "Why am I? Why am I stationed up in this tree covered in netting, while people are coming sleeping comfortably in this house, and my nominal employer, the the owner of the bed and breakfast, right. keeps talking to men in dark sedans?" What if you had the world's first bed and breakfast exclusively for snipers? They could come in. Maybe, maybe they could come in and help you. I mean, obviously, you know most of what you need to know. But if you had exclusively uh, paramilitary, black ops kinds of people that could stay there, they know it's a comfortable place. It's in a secured location. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. The thing is, it's all about vertical markets, John. If you want to score high on Yelp, you're gonna have to go beyond like, ah, oh, we got prints and shit, you know, to something like, you know, oh, you get a boiled egg and we talk too much. Right, 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 Yahtzee. Right, right. Well, no, no, I'm seeing what you're saying because if yeah, you take be astronauts, all, maybe astronauts. You t- well, the th- if you if you just if you just focus on snipers, you got marine <laughs> snipers, you got air force snipers, you got army snipers, you got then you've got all the like you've got the CIA snipers, but you've also got these weird like State Department snipers that nobody ever there's hears guy, about. John, there's going to be guys Police checking departments. in. They're going to have uh, one of those black Amex cards, African American Amex cards. They're going to yeah. hand it over. You're not going to know what kind of sniper they are. And let's be honest, they may not even know what kind of sniper they were. They, they a, don't know who they work for. It's a huge untapped market. We don't even know how many snipers are out there. Literally, Retired how many snipers, snipers are out there? Retired uh, snipers. Uh, uh, currently active snipers. I think that I, I'm guessing there are snipers that don't even know they're snipers. Oh, 100% sleeper cell. Manchurian so candidate. You, now, how do you get the word out to those guys? You would need the right marketing materials, probably a Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So Just collect if some likes. Well, okay. So hmm, there's a lot of ways you could go with this. I'm just going to say, first of all, there's nothing in this world more deadly than a Marine and his rifle. Did you know that? Were you aware of that? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, remember the guy up in the tower in Austin? That's right. Charles Whitman, sir. Charles Whitman. Where did he learn his Where did he learn his trade? Marines, That's sir. Right. That's right. The Marines. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going to call you private. Doesn't know he's a sniper. <laughs> oh, you know what? In order to check in here, you have to prove that you were born again hard. Can you do that? Can you stand, oh. you stand here and disassemble your rifle? You go into the latrine. You got you got watch that night. No, there's a lot of things that you could do. I mean, obviously, I, I guess there's two ways you could go. Um, I think at first, I, again, I as you as you know, I am not a bed and breakfast consultant. Yeah, but I, I think yeah, you might you might want to start with people who know their snipers and just well, take a break. A, this is a problem with me and my relationship to snipers and my relationship to all kind uh, all kinds of people that I that I that I think I want to be friends with. The the number one problem with me being friends with former special ops people is that I am not a member of that fraternity technically. Right. So when they say, when they like flash their little skulls head ring or they say, 
you know, where did you serve or whatever it is that they say to each other when they say sick semper tyrannus or, or <laughs> I think you think of the John, John Wilkes Booth company when they say, when they say dolce far niente or whatever it is they're trained to say. <laughs> I served in La Dolce Vita division. And I say, you know, and I say, you know, whoop, whoop. Or whatever. I mean, whatever my reply is, it's going to. That means that's like a skull and bones thing. You just responded with the right whoop whoop to the sniper. Exactly. I show them my my Masonic pinky ring, but they know it's wrong. (laughs) The 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 points of the star are facing away from my heart, or whatever. I've already. I am already not a member of of the fraternity enough that I can that I can bridge that gap and and make the common cause with them that I feel like that I in my imagination exists. But the, but the other problem, and this is one that is, that's growing in concern to me, is that there's been a lot, of, a lot more exposure of special operations people in the last 10 years. You know, it, you, during the Reagan like, era. Like awareness of what they do or outing as? Bo- both. I mean, just because of the way our culture goes, the whole business in, in 1985, if you worked in any f- fashion in a secret agency you made no reference to it whatsoever your your spouse didn't know right. you were, yeah you, you wouldn't show up in scarsdale and go yeah oh you know that thing uh, that thing down in nicaragua that was me yeah right you weren't certainly writing a book about it or appearing on television about it but now i don't know if you saw but there was this movie that came out a couple of years ago that was all currently active seal team members starring in this movie and it was it was predictably awful uh, the acting was the adventure well, well, well it was a fictive world i mean there was these were, they were acting in this movie it wasn't a documentary yeah it was a seal oh, team dear. it was a seal team movie where they were out uh chasing terrorists and uh jumping out of airplanes and and they had they had like boats outfitted with gatling guns that could strip the bark off a tree and and uh all, all this crazy shit and they were flying around the world and chasing terrorists but it was all the actors were all active seal team members and so the dialogue was it was it was like watching uh the bark of a tree try and and do line readings <laughs> It seems like that would defeat the purpose of two different industries. On on the one hand, you have the desire to theoretically entertain people. And then on the other hand, you try to keep the country safe by not saying who's a seal. Well, uh, so, so, but my experience of, you know, of absorbing and uh, consuming all this special forces material, you know, it began, of course, with, um, with the movie uh, where the girl from St. Elmo's fire went through the seal training and shaved her head. Oh, uh, I'm talking about Mrs. Bruce Willis. Uh, yes, the the that? lady who was in a few Ashton good men. Kutchner's uh, GI Jane, Cougar Mama. GI Jane was that it? So I wa- I because that movie was on cable a lot, and because I will always watch uh, dramatized seer training. Uh, I I watched that movie a, a dozen times. And uh, and back then you you couldn't trust what you were seeing because it was just Hollywood and it was some dumb it was some dumb movie, but now you you get to meet these seal people on TV or on the internet. There you get to see them in real life, and my perception of them, which was completely formed in my imagination with no basis in reality, my perception of them being Jason Bourne like at the minimum. But 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 honestly, my perception 
my dream of them was that they were all like Roddy McDowell or, or <laughs> and David. They, and they live. <laughs> You know, no, no, not not Rod, I mean, Rowdy Roddy Piper. I mean Roddy Roddy McDowell. Like, <laughs> sorry, Cornelius. Yeah, Cornelius. Exactly. The, the he plays. All, uh, you know, he plays an American in The Longest Day. That's right. Well, he's a great actor. Watched it three times. But I always imagine special forces people were likable British. People. Oh my goodness, yes. I mean, I, I mean, I know you're not a comic uh, person, but I mean, it's like people in Shield. You imagine it's going to be people who are super smart, super fit, yeah. you know, super with it. <clears throat> I felt this way about Scientologists, and then I watched a couple of documentaries, and they were real doughy. I thought they'd well, be a lot and, tougher. And that's the thing about these SEAL guys. The more of them I see, they look like, they look like uh, vice principals. Well, and every single one of them is a goddamn hillbilly asshole. Like. And 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 the more I think about it, it's like, well, duh, of course. Uh, who is gonna go? Who is gonna go through all that bullshit? They're not gonna make it out of the Swiss embassy, like like like, like a born. These guys are just guys that that are that are attracted to the seals because a they are like hyper patriotic. B they want to meet every challenge and you know and never never fail and. Uh, see, they want to. They want to run big machines. You know, they want to like. It, it's basically the same dudes that are building drag drag strip cars. They just oh, take these that- are like people who are like. I mean, I don't have cable, but it sounds like from what I've seen of cable, this is like people who should have a cable TV show. It's like heavy guys with mustaches and and like colorful accents. Maybe they make motorcycles or in this case they they invade uh, banana republics. Yeah, or they go yeah, exactly. They helicopter in and they go they they sneak into people's houses and they shoot them. And why I thought that they were going to be like David Niven instead of like Larry the Cable guy, I don't know. <laughs> but they're they're basically they're basically all Better, Larry You're the Cable totally Guy in better right. shape. You're totally right. And they, they sit there and they got like the big, the, they got the big like uh, meat beard and they're wearing a shirt that's a little too tight. You're totally, you're totally yeah, right. And, and they believe that they are on a Christian mission to like uh, destroy the infidels. Isn't and- that depressing? And then so, so, but for me though, I want somebody like, gosh, there's so much I want to talk to you about. Uh, I watched uh, Band of Brothers again. And like, oh, I, see, I, I want it to be like, like Easy Company. Like that, I want it to be guys like that. Sure, you know there's I mean? a guy from Brooklyn. There's sure. a guy from Kansas. There's the other guy from Brooklyn. <laughs> but you know who it is for me? Like, you know, you, you like, what is it? David Niven, uh, Roddy McDowell, who is not, uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper. For me, oh. it's uh, Max von Sydow in Three right. Days of the Condor. Right. I just he is he is so cool. He is so stone cold in that movie. He's in. I, I didn't realize. I always think of him as being in Seventh Seal, but he's in lots of like really normal movies too. I mean, he's yeah. in The Exorcist. I always forget yeah. about that. Pretty normal. Or or the uh, the actor that was in uh, The Day of the Jackal, who was also in Force Ten from Navarone. Uh, not Robert Shaw. No, not Robert Shaw. Although he was in Force Ten, from is, is he more? Uh, is he more? Uh, yeah, the Jackal. He's the in Force Ten from Navarone. He's the British guy with the briefcase full of explosives, and in <laughs> yeah, the Jackal, he's the Jackal. And so what we've got here is what I will refer to as the Larry continuum. You know, and you've got like you've got you, you got you've got your Larrys. At, at, anyway, I I, I have so many things I want to ask you about. I'm sorry, I have I have a lot of notes right here. And so and so the problem is, if you're going to open this bed and breakfast, you're going to need. Self-awareness. Well, so, you need so, self-awareness about what, do you really want to have Larry the Cable Guy staying at your house, for example? That's the problem. I'm, uh, I'm going to have to stock the refrigerator with Jimmy Dean sausage. And, uh, and, and my <laughs> this could stero- be good for your diet. My stereo is just going to be all uh, whatever that, uh, like Garth Brooks's heavy metal alternative persona. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, 
you, Peter, but you know Peter what I mean? David. Like these are guys, these are guys that are listening to, uh, that are listening to like Creed on their, or, or Kid Rock on their, while they're in the helicopter on their way to make the, uh, make the world a better place. And I'm not sure I want them in my house. I'm not sure that I'm going to have anything in common with them. See, but I, this is where, this is where I think you can work outside of the Yelp model. I mean, what if you, what if, for example, I mean, I, I, again, you don't have enough insider knowledge. I mean, you know, like when we were kids and certainly for years before we were kids, you knew there was the FBI. You knew there were like secret agents. That's but right. You didn't know. You go to Wikipedia now. You can read like seven levels deep about the black, black, blacker ops and all that kind of stuff. And right. obviously it's a little late in life for you to just be getting started with that. Right. Yes. But. Yes. But you could have a covert bed and breakfast, and maybe that becomes a word of mouth thing where you uh, wouldn't let anybody in. You maybe you would make them think it's a normal bed and breakfast, which none of these snipers would want to stay at. Hmm, hmm, Certainly mm-hmm. not in your neighborhood. What you're going to go out to John's neighborhood to stay at a, at a bed and breakfast? What if I start a bed and breakfast and I don't let anybody come stay here? I think it's a terrific start. Well, I'm happy. Well, no, think there. about it. You could you could have uh, you could do some tests, some test flights. Mm. You know. Um, I don't know. I'm just saying you travel a lot. It's the kind of thing where once it gets running, maybe some of the, it could be like a TV show. Maybe some of the snipers could come and work there. <laughs> I feel, I feel like I, I want, I very much want to be part of this world where people are, uh, house swapping. They, they trade their cool house for somebody's apartment in Paris. It's like video games. I, it's, I've completely missed this entire phenomenon. I know, I knew it was out there, but people yeah. talk about it like it's a normal thing. It's completely passed me over. Yeah, it's happening, and I think it's brilliant precisely because what you do is you trade the mundane reality of your life uh, with somebody else's mundane reality, and they think they think where you live in San Francisco is amazing, and you think whatever like outlying suburb of Paris they live in is amazing. Uh, it's like swapping underwear. It's always yeah, there's always exactly. intrigue like, and novelty. This underwear is incredible. It's just this- my underwear. Yeah, but, but it's awesome. The problem with it is that my house is situated just far enough outside of the ring. And by the ring, I mean the ring of whites. The ring, the ring of Anglo-Saxon scared people that make <laughs> the up the... ring of whites <laughs> sounds like some kind of community group in your mom's hometown. <laughs> the, the ring of whites in downtown Seattle who are terrified uh, of ever having any conflict... That is what other people think is what's magical about Seattle. And so somebody from Paris is going to come here and they're going to be like, what is this car on the giant wheels? And I'm going to say, oh, that's a donk. <laughs> and they're, they're going to say, I'm headed home. That's not a word. They don't want to trade, car- they don't want to trade houses with me. I mean, no. No, donk is a real word. Okay. I think that means butt, doesn't it? No. The, is that the donk a donk? The derivation of donk. This is based on this is based on the Dirty South culture. Oh my god! Around uh, the sort of Florida Atlanta axis, and uh, the the original cars that they used to put on those giant rims mm-hmm. were Impalas, and the little jumping Impala logo on the back of an Impala, the little the little Impala, uh, like elk, uh, deer, whatever that thing, whatever the little like leaping. Gazelle oh, a gazelle-ish uh, logo. The gazelle on the back of an Impala. Uh, the the um, the purveyors of these uh, of these giant hopped up uh, custom cars uh, felt like that animal looked like a donkey, and so uh, they started calling the cars don- donkeys and then shortened to donks. Mm. 
And now it is, it's a, you know, it's a phenomenon. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Put your car up on the tall wheels. Donk. But they're called donks. Hmm. And you see a lot of people uh, that, that, that are from inside the, the white ring might, <laughs> might not know the donks as much, especially the Parisians. Inside the, white, inside the, white, the ring of whites, the, 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 you know, the donks are only passing through. But down here, I, you know, live, the donks are, it, they, are the, they are the main form of motorized trans, transit. And somebody from Paris might think that that's fascinating, but it's also like, it's a little bit outside of like, oh, let's, you know, let's uh, step outside you, of I our, think you, under, you undersell, and, you undersell the continent. But here's the thing. The last thing I want to do tonight is accuse you of black and white thinking, John. But I think, I think if, whether it's your diet or your pants, I think it helps to start small, but not too small. Not where they will, they'll be uncomfortable or bind. But I think you have to start with, with small little, small steps. And if you're going to have a covert bed and breakfast, let's start by just having a, maybe a bed and breakfast. And it does not even have to be available to the public. You should just see if you like having that kind of a setup. I mean, I think they're real creepy. Have you ever stayed at a bed and breakfast? Mm, well, my experience of bed and breakfast is that they have a lot of Victoriana, right? Like lamps, <laughs> yeah. lamps with the uh, with like heavy brocade shades. Basically, every cliche in a movie that you've ever seen about bed and breakfast is true, mm-hmm. inclusive. I mean, we we Tapestries. stayed at one once, and it was. I mean, of all the things that make me uncomfortable about hotels, at least national hotel chains understand the most important thing. Well, they understand an important thing, which is to make it seem like nobody's ever been in your room before. Right. 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 But in these places, that is not the primary assumption. Instead, they want to look like want it to look like thousands of people have been right. in your room over the last two hundred years. And, everything's and creaky. Uh, everything's uh, woven. They've papered the walls with corduroy to co- actually collect dander. Uh, oh God! As, uh, from from guests. Do you know how so much that- dander you can collect in flocking? Just at a at a baseline level, just at background dander collects in a flock. I think I have an ant in my ear. I don't know how it would have gotten in there, but it, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just I feel Not like I have an ant in my ear. Um, did you need a minute? I could play uh, Hank Williams again. No, no, it's all right. I'm going to, I'm going to survive it. I, you know, I have, I have a little bit of that sympathetic ant in the ear problem where I just, I imagine it's, it goes back to Star Trek Wrath of Khan. Hmm. If you, I'm, if I'm like that with, I, you, the way you are with, uh, raccoons, that's kind of how I am with ants. Like, I got a lot of respect for them. If I got to um, take them out, I'm going to do it like a gentleman, but, but I, I have a lot of respect. For sure. Yeah. We stayed at one one time and the, the price was competitive with other places and it was mainly because of the location. We we're staying yeah. at, at, near family in Rhode Island and, uh, yeah, it was really easy. It seemed great. We got there. I'll be quick about this, but you, you go in, first of all, you, if you're going to get there, if you can get there after seven, let us know because we'll have to like, you know, you know, flip the light on and off seven times and come down and we'll have split pea soup for you. It's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. So first of all, when you check in, um, the main lobby, if you like, meaning their living room is not open. So you have to go in through the antique store entrance uh-huh. because of course it has an antique store. I like this place. Mainly focusing on figurines. I don't like this place. So a lady in a house coat comes down at 8 o'clock. I like this place. She's not in a good way. She comes uh. down, and I mean, I think they even head down to like the junk, junk credit card thing. And, and you go <laughs> and you check in. You go into this room. It's incredibly creepy. Sure. You know, you know how like Floor you stayed in lots of, yes, everything's slanted. I mean, yeah. it's, 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 everything's like, and everything's like deliberately human. Like everything's way too human. You mm. know, it's, it's, mm. uh, got this real wabi, wabi sabi quality, like, uh, mm. oh, you know, that stains vintage or whatever. Mm-hmm. But okay, so anyway, it's awful. And A creepy it's, doll. It's, 
smell it smells like people have been there yeah. and the 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 oh god and you know, and you're supposed to come down and eat breakfast with everybody. That's oh, that's, sure. that's the gig. But but we had gotten real fancy. And she said, and if you want, you know, I could bring breakfast, um, drop it off. Okay, sure, fine. That's whatever, whatever. And so my lady and I are sleeping, and we hear this like, <laughs> and uh-huh. and it's this woman. There's our room with a door that goes out to the hallway, and then there's another door that we weren't really aware of. And there's this room between two rooms where she goes in and puts this really like, not handmade in like a, like a, like a nice way, but like, it really looks like a lady made major breakfast. And she Uh puts it right outside, like where you're sleeping and you can hear her. Like you can hear things like in the anteroom. It's kind of like a, like a, almost like an alcove. And then here, she closes the other door, you know, so it's like this, this little kind of like DMZ between two rooms. Uh And then turns on a red light. (laughs) And you know, you know, it's safe to go in and get your hard boiled egg. (laughs) Put on your, your hose pants. But yeah, you you go in there and do you know what I'm saying there, John? Like, like again, to their credit, a hotel, you get a meal and it kind of looks like nobody's ever touched it. Which yeah. they, you know, whatever. It probably got, you know, shot out of a machine, shot out like, you know, pump chili. But, yeah. but in this case, seriously, like a hard boiled egg on a stand, like yeah. really, really creepy. And everything, I, everything smells like needlework. It's just gross. I've never stayed in one of those in America because why the hell would you? But I've stayed in a million of them in Europe where, where you're staying in someone's home and, and you realize all of a sudden that they have house rules that they expect you to, Ugh. like I got yelled at by an old woman one time for the way I was taking a shower. Like she came into the bathroom and was like, you can't take a shower like this. And, and she was yelling at, me in, we, uh, and yelling at me in German. And I was like, I don't know what you, what I don't, were you doing wrong? Do you remember? I have no idea. I was taking a shower. That's the, that's the thing. It's, it's it's like you're saying, right? In her my in her imagination, shower time is between seven forty five and eight fifty. Oh. And I was showering at eight thirty six or something. And she's like, "What are you doing? You're all the way into breakfast time now." They love rules. You can't, you can't be in the shower. You are there. You are into breakfast, deep into breakfast. Breakfast is important. Yeah, and they, you know they serve a lot of bread there. They do dark bread, cakes, dark, dark bread, and the, that blood sausage. My thinking also, though, is so. First of all, fuck bed and breakfast. That's bullshit. I think yeah. I think a, a sniper who's out there, somebody. It's a very high pressure situation. You don't. Let's be honest. You don't get to sleep real well. You might be in a blind, or what would you call it? Like you know, you're up in like a, a your little sniper hole. What do you call that? Yeah, like you might call that a blind. I mean, that's yeah. more what a hunter would would make. But yeah, let's say yeah. let's say sniper blind. <laughs> okay, you've been in your sniper blind. Maybe you got yeah. a crick in your neck. You know, yeah. but anyway, all I'm saying is, the thing is maybe they would want to come there. I don't think they're going to want to come there and talk about guns. I think guns and sniper nests and blinds and trees are probably the last thing they want to talk about. They might want to talk about raccoons. But this is the thing that I, this is what I'm afraid of. I am afraid of, I am afraid that special forces people are not as sophisticated as I, as I hope. And that in fact, they do want to talk about guns because it's all that they want to talk. They want to talk about guns and freedom or, or, or who knows, or they want to talk about sports and, oh, you're uh, saying that might be, oh gosh, I don't know if this is what you're saying, but all of a sudden I went down a real, real wormhole here. It's a fucking bachelor party yeah. and it's like five of these mooks and they want to watch sports yeah. and, and have a, and have a, a hooker come over or something. Well, they they want to watch sports, maybe have a hooker come over. And every time they're, every time a car backfires outside, they all hit the, they all are like under the tea tray. They're still in Saigon. And, and, uh, you know, the guys are like, like all of a sudden, all of a sudden you got little laser pointer uh, sights going all over the dark room. And, and I feel like, you know, what my hope was, was that, uh, there would be a, there would be a bunch of uh, men of discernment sitting around 
talking about uh, the Biafran War, uh, talking about uh, uh, the old days in Rhodesia, mm-hmm. and uh, and we would be comparing like sort of like ge- geopolitical notes and um, and and killing techniques, but but, but in a really urbane way. In a, in a very urbane way, no one ever says no one ever says the word kill or death. There's always a euphemism no. employed, and uh, and you know, and there's a there's like a there's an appreciation for the Walther PPK. It's a small gun; you can easy to conceal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a little trade craft discussed, but always again in a in a way where nothing every uh, everything is in code. But, but here's, here's another big difference. If you went to, uh, God forbid, a rock and roll bed and breakfast, like mm. you wouldn't want to go like grab an acoustic guitar and join seven people in singing The Weight. Jesus, no. No, but you might want to sit around and talk about people and gossip about people in bands that you don't like. Like that would be fun, right? Absolutely, that's the best. So, I mean, I still, I'm not sure you'd want to go stay with other musicians, but all no. I'm saying is Tradecraft might come into it, but it wouldn't be that on the nose. It's, you know, I, I figured out something this past week. I was I was staying uh, I was staying with some friends, and one of them uh, uh, one of them her father was a an, an expert on the Soviet Union during the Cold War. He was a university professor. He worked at the State Department. He was an expert on the Soviets. He he traveled to the Soviet Union. Uh, Is this Kathleen's father? Many times. No, no, no. It's uh, not Kathleen's father. Her 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 dad, I think, was a doctor. God, he's a gentleman. But in any case, uh, I, I, I did. I did some. I asked some probing questions right away of this man who's now, you know, an, an elderly gentleman, because I was like, "Come on, who are you kidding? You were in. The, you were working for the State Department. Yeah, you were working for the State Department in the Moscow office. Like, give me a break." Oh, he's, he's trying like, to like play it off like he's like a, a lower level ambassador kind of person. Oh no, he's he's playing it off like he's an academic. And I was like, oh, I was he's like, there for research and come education. Come on, come on, come on. Talk, let's talk turkey. Mm-hmm. Like, what was the what's the real story? And it, it was it was didn't take long at all to establish that no, in fact, he was an academic. He was not in espionage. I and I and I and I believe it. But that there were all kinds of people working uh, working in what I imagined were very exciting Cold War era. Uh, lines of of inquiry working for the government or working in the in soviet studies or whatever people that i imagined would be fascinating to talk to because of all the special um you know the special information that they would have or the special knowledge i guess of of the world a world that was a great mystery to me at the time and in talking to him it was you know it became clear that well uh, uh 40 years ago it was just the same as now and and most people just did did some something some kind of uninteresting thing and their perceptions of the world were were uh, more or less governed by their own prejudices and it's, it's just a job it's just a job and the soviet union my, my retroactive perception of the soviet union as this gigantic um like jeff coons a uh, metal dog balloon. Okay, <laughs> 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 is is not a perception. Is not a perception shared by people who were actively engaged with uh, with American Soviet intercourse in the sixties and seventies. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm like, well, come on, wasn't the Soviet Union really just a big Jeff Koons? 
metal, metal dog sculpture of a metal dog balloon, <laughs> and I am greeted with in, in, incomprehension. And that's then, so odd. And then the then the 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 older uh, man sort of pedantically explained to me that the Soviet Union was a legitimate threat that they were a threat to democracy and that this, that Soviet communism and their military buildup were, were real and dangerous. And I was like, come on, but really, wasn't it just, wasn't it just, <laughs> Jeff, a, Jeff, uh, wasn't it just a taxidermied shark in a, in a, uh, in a, in an aquarium of piss? <laughs> and he says, I he should really go. <laughs> he doesn't understand what I'm asking. And he says, huh. he says, no, they were they they were uh, they were the enemy, and they were uh, they they had a bad ideology, and they mm-hmm. were backing it up with with the uh, nuclear bombs. And I'm like, yeah, 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 right. Wasn't it just a giant nesting doll of babushkas uh, in in some kind of uh, art museum? And and at that point, he broke down and told you the truth. He, I couldn't. I, I I couldn't get it out of him. He See, was, that guy's good. He's bed and breakfast material right there. That, that's what. I, but I, but I, but but I was convinced. Ultimately, I was convinced that he was he was not using tradecraft on me. That in fact he had no idea what I was talking about. Wow, that's he, so depressing. And he genuinely considers to this day that the that the Soviet Union was that the Cold War was was justified, and the Soviet Union was genuinely bad. They were bad guys. And communism was a real threat to our way of life, and all these all these things that I guess I can't fault him for. Mm-hmm. But uh, they, these were things that you know that I felt that I felt pretty strongly in 1983, I guess. But by you know by 1993, I, I really felt like we we had looked behind the curtain, and there was the wizard. Well, especially especially was, in East Germany, like where you saw like how broken the whole system was for was so long. It was so broken and so sad. And I mean, and, and he certainly appreciates that. And I think anybody that worked in that time understands that it was broken and sad. But the, but the idea that it was also an unstoppable plague that was bringing broken sadness to us if we didn't counter them by, by literally throwing F-16s at them <laughs> right. or like or by by rattling so many sabers, well, by, you know, by, by I, like by playing thousands of high stakes games of Battleship about you know maybe not even being sure where those planes are, but they're out there. Trust me. That whole that whole game with the like submarines chasing each other around the, uh, you know, around the uh, uh, abysmal deep or whatever, and you're just thinking, did we really live like that? Yeah. Did we really live like that for so long? And was so it much really- money, so much money. It is. It's a thing that I. It's a thing that gives me great sympathy for uh, Marxist feminism, like like university style nineties hmm. uh, feminism. Their contention that the that you talking about Ju- the Real Dworkin tick? <laughs> yeah, that that their contention that 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 politics and the and the world of men is just a oh. just this just a bunch of little boys throwing marbles at each other and. When you when you look at the Cold War with with any distance, I I can't escape that 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 is an accurate critique, and that I, I, I this has been this has been overcoming me lately. My love of like military pomp and circumstance and secret operations is for the first time really really up against this feeling that it is. Baron Munchausen, 
or <laughs> right, right. or worse, that little guy in Blade Runner with the Napoleon hat and the Pinocchio nose. Home again, home again, jiggity jig. <laughs> and that that is that all of this wonderful world of making war on one another is just this, you know, this pathetic uh, child game, and that 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 this, you know, the the nuclear holocaust under which I and you yeah. both grew for, grew from zygotehood to adulthood, like the threat of this was so palpable and so, and felt so fraught. And even though for, for two decades now, it's been like, eh, you know, thank goodness that's not a thing anymore. It's amazing how fast it just went away. And, and over like basically two to three years. Yeah. Just, just evaporated. Like that was like, it. Like, like, like San Francisco fog on a hot afternoon. Yeah. You had red dawn. And then, like, within five years, you got, uh, you know, KMFDM is a drug against war, and we're all tearing down the wall with Pepsi and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Five years later, you're trading your Levi's for a Trabant, and uh, and everybody <laughs> thinks it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can, like, I, can, I, can, I, can I try to restore some of this? Or I don't want, I'm not saying this is – I'm not about to try and fight the, the Dworkins of your mind. But, but I, 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 one thing I have to bring up – you remember this last time we talked about the Holocaust, uh, how I was saying it, it had never really sunk into me what a – extraordinarily small amount of time uh the the the, the whole like a formal process of concentration yeah. camps being more than a place to concentrate people in a camp that yeah, it was sure. really like three years i mean yeah. they were tearing them down i mean they went from like within one year they went from well, tell me if i'm wrong but i think within about a year they went from like ridiculous escalation and like railroads and all this stuff to like tearing it down quickly because here comes the the allies right yeah it was 43 44 was yeah the... yeah exactly well watching all these movies in, in our uh, interregnum has, has shown me another thing uh i'll be quick about this but um it's it, it, we're watching oh you know what else i watched that i gotta give you the world at war 26 26 part <laughs> documentary from 1974 uh narrated by Lawrence olivier uh, uh, 26 parts uh yeah, each one I, one I, to two hours i think i watched it on of TV course you did you remember the logo the um, the big <laughs> yeah. flaming logo oh <laughs> so great um here's what i got from that uh i'm gonna stand by what i always said as an armchair uh 70 years too late historian holy shit it, it, every single day, every single goddamn day, if we had gotten in one day earlier, what a difference one day would have made at so many points. It's amazing how much of that war went on and happened and happened and happened over so many years. But it's, it's just so strange to me that you look at like um, – so when was the the um, uh, the the bombing of London? It was like 42 well, you're talking about the Blitzkrieg, or the, yeah, uh, the, yeah, the about the yeah the no, of London, no, right? before thirty nine. Well, 39, I think the, the bombing started. Wait, here's here's all, all I want to get at is like it seems to me that the amount of time, like once the U.S. came in, yeah. uh, it seems like I never realized this so much. My my feeling had always been that like I think of in my head, I always think of World War II, the American interest in that being about five years long, when really, no, it was kind of really four years, but really three years. We were not actually that engaged that much for that long. And it, to be honest, in retrospect, in serious, serious retrospect, I mean, this is very much armchair stuff. <clears throat> the tide turned on three different fronts, three different theaters, like mm -hmm. not long after we got in. It did mm -hmm. not take that. It didn't take more than two years of us being in to like really change the tide. Yeah. I mean, even by the time of, I mean, those horrible few episodes of Band of Brothers, you know, around the project, um, uh, market, 
day. Market Garden. Market, Market Garden. Garden. Oh my God. And the, the, all the horrible stuff around the Battle of the Bulge. Well, Battle of the Bulge was like a last gasp. Last gasp. A horrible, horrible, like series of, of just awful things. But that was their last ditch effort. You know what I mean? Well, it's yeah, inc- it's incredible that from, from like basically January of 1942 to June of 1944. Think about that. I mean, that's, that's, that's like what, uh, how long is that? That's like two, two, two and a half years, uh, something like that. I have mayonnaise in my fridge that's older than that. Isn't that unbelievable? But the only reason I want, I want to hear comments on that, but the only thing, the only reason I mention all of this is because we should talk more about Hitler, but also because I wonder if a, first of all, there's the fact that even after we were trouncing, uh, finally the fucking Americans jumped in and it provided more than like, you know, a few tanks and planes. Uh, we had, you know, we brought in this huge amount of, uh, sea power, you know, to add into the mix, changed, changed the, the game for everybody. But it still took, it did still take those years. And, and by 1944, it was some of the worst fighting of the war, even though we, those are the scales that already tipped. So yeah. I wonder if there's that part of it combined within the fact that, so when I, when you think about the Soviet era, um, you know, intelligence people, I wonder if there's this part of them that was coming out of that World War II culture of going, oh, it may have seemed like we were winning, but believe me, it was not a decisive victory. You know, until we came in from the West and the Russians came in from the East. And boy, a lot of bodies had to fall after we started, quote unquote, winning. Do you know what I mean? I wonder part of it was that like until that entire system was broken down, until there was zero chance that there could be a plausible uh, strike, you know, from the Soviet Union. Do you know what I mean? I bet that mentality stuck with people who were were brought up in that period or who, you know, had fathers that died in that war. Yeah. Does, Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. And, you know, I think that's why we're still so fascinated by the secret weapons of Adolf Hitler. There was, there was that sense that, that there was the doomsday device, or at least the jet airplane that was waiting Is it under the, the, a tarp. V, the V1 or whatever. Well, no, I mean, no, the, I mean, the, the ME262 was this, was the sort of first operational jet. And if they had, you know, if the war had lasted two more years or if they'd brought that jet out two years earlier, I mean, there's so many things that could have turned the tide, particularly if Hitler had, if we hadn't had that great, uh, that great special forces operation up into uh, Norway to destroy their heavy water manufacturing plant. And Hitler had made a bomb, uh, an atom bomb. When, when was that? I don't know about that. When was that? Oh, well, this is, there's, <laughs> there's, 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 there's some great movies about this raid. <laughs> I got my pencil. But there, there, uh, you know, there was a, uh, there was a, 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 what would it be called? A refinement sort of plant uh, dam. There was a, there was a dam involved, and they were refining heavy water, which is necessary mm-hmm. in order to process uranium. And they were collecting this heavy water up at this place in Norway, and a special team of, of. Uh, Wintertime, like special forces paratroops, were were dropped up in the snowlands, and cross country skied their way down to this this uh, heavy water plant and like blew it up in the middle of the night, effectively ending the Nazis' sort of like uranium enrichment project, and. This was all part of the, you know, the, the, that growing awareness that, like, whatever that letter that Einstein wrote to FDR, where it's like, this is, this, this bomb could be real. 
we, we could make this bomb. And if the Nazis aren't working on it, then, then they're crazy. Or I mean, they're, the Nazis are definitely working on this. We need to get this bomb first. And here's what they're, here's what, if you're looking for their bomb project, here's what you should be looking for. And, you know, they took it seriously and they went and, and stopped them or whatever. Right. But, you know, the, the, the secret, the secret weapons thing, um, was real. And it still, it still gets people today. Yeah. I mean, the the whole idea of, I mean, think about everything, uh, just reading this essay, um, the security guy wrote about, you know, just those concentric circles that come out from the word terrorists and, and, and how we can excuse anything just, you know, starts out with terrorism and then it just moves out and it really is a slippery slope. I mean, but, you know, now, now that you've got all this NSA stuff, well, what comes next? Do you use it to stop child pornographers? Well, that seems like a good cause. You know right. what I mean? It's like, and then the but all in the name. Like, yeah. And pretty what about soon dog it's like, abusers? Yes. pretty soon it's people who didn't respond to John's Yelp <laughs> review fast enough. Yeah. What about people that haven't updated their Adobe software? Yes. <laughs> But but I think I think really the hardest thing for me to remember and the hardest thing for everybody to picture is that at, during the 20th century the idea of a fascist society per, uh, along the lines of the one that we jokingly refer to on Roderick on the line <laughs> or not so jokingly refer to but the idea that the best way for human culture to run in a in an industrial mechanized era when we finally have the technology to run things according to to clocks and run things as efficiently as possible that that the that the notion that democracy was an outdated mode of thinking and a and a more primitive way of of ordering human society and that ultimately having one strong altruistic person at the top of a system like a at the top of a efficient bureaucratic system was in fact the next evolution and that that notion which was which was which went in the direction of fascism and like state state communism statism um that those ideas were not we look at them now and think of them as artifacts of the of like sort of a 20th century wrongheadedness but that in 1920 it was a convincing argument that i think a lot of people a lot of people could legitimately feel a sympathy toward like Yes, there should be a way that these bad drivers are kept off the roads. Yes, there should be a way that we can uh, that that we can tattoo the the people we we would like to ostracize. And those those ideas seemed like a new tech, like a like an appropriately new evolution of technology, and we were going to eliminate. Pov- I'm talking about we the human race we're going to eliminate poverty we were going to eliminate ultimately eliminate suffering by employing technology in these ways and and when i look at the cold war now i have to remember that this ideological battle that seems hilarious to me now that seems like that seems like 
slim pickens riding a bomb <laughs> at the time it was so real to people because these ideologies that the soviets were the last vestige of this idea that top down bureaucratic state ordered uh government and culture were you know was was actually in competition with democracy in, in in reasonable people's minds there were there were all kinds of american intellectuals that felt like no what we, what we really need is is five year five year agriculture plans and re reeducation camps for for dummies mhm so, but that's not where they, that's not where it starts. I, I don't think. I mean, we've covered this, or I've covered this ground a lot. That whole idea of like, well, we've talked about you know Versailles and 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 you know the wheelbarrows full of money and stuff like that. But you know, another way to look at it is if you if you go somewhere and gosh, now I think it's almost more like Les Mis or something. But you go somewhere and you buy something that's supposed to be beef and it's actually like you know tainted ass or whatever there's no regulation right you tainted go, ass. <laughs> dunk, dunk, chick, chick, chick. <laughs> but you know what i mean if you go somewhere if, i mean think about the idea of like something like the fda is all i'm saying like having regulations about like what's okay with food and the fact that like you know what if all of a sudden somebody just somebody took a little uh bribe and decided that a bunch of this stuff would go past inspection that couldn't and because of that in combination of incompetence and corruption a bunch of kids die like yeah. when that happens Boy, for sure. I think most of us are going to be, you know, jumping out of our seats to say, Oh my God, we need more of that big brother or whatever you want to call it. You want, you don't want that to never could be, could be, could be stuff involving kids on every level. It's something that gets, gets our dander up, right? <laughs> for really good reasons. Mm -hmm. But that's the thing is, I don't think it, I, I really don't think it starts with let's have the hook noses go get bricked into this area of town. I think it really starts somewhere much more basic. I think that you can stoke it with that. But, but I mean, I think it's that basic fear of, of things that we, in a, in a large, techn you know, technological society, the things we can't know or understand or, or trust is we have to have, uh, somebody there who's standing between us and the bad guys. And I'm not trying to defend it, but I think that's a lot of where it starts. I mean, don't you? It could be a banking system. It could be like, you know, where, where, you know, you can just, you know, take money from people, uh, just by being a banker who decides to walk away with this money or, or whatever. And then the public gets that. And that's, that's, you know, that's red meat. So I'm, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess I just feel like it's, there's that impulse is in almost all of us. You know, it's like the people who, the hippie that gets his weed stolen and calls the cops. You know, well, every, everybody uh, wants a dad when it comes time to get to the thing that they really care about. Sure, but but in, I think what what changed what changed in our uh, in our era in the 20th century was that we were finally able to account for every person. Sen you know, census wise, and, yeah, and just like everybody has an ID at a certain point, like you can hmm. you have the technology to ultimately line everybody up and give them a number and start you know, start directing them according to systems, which even in, you know, even in the 19th century was just a, you know, just a distant dream. I mean, they were still, they were still putting, they were still putting gas lamps up or mm -hmm. whatever. But, but by 19, by 1930, you could do a pretty reliable count of everybody. And that kind of, that kind of order 
what 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 it allow what it allows the imagination to do is race ahead and think like okay we've got a number on everybody now we can also give them all a rating like we can we can why shouldn't that number also be a rating from 1 to 5 million according to some system of tests that we give or some some system of criteria and you start moving people around. I mean, one of the famous things that Soviet defectors, one of their first impressions when they came to America was they would, you know, they would stand on an overpass or whatever and watch cars driving on a freeway and say, like, who, who is directing where all these people go? Like, hmm. how, how are these people able to just drive wherever they want? What keeps them at their jobs or what keeps... What keeps everybody from just doing whatever they want? And, you know, their American handler would kind of chuckle (laughs) and say, well, it's America. It's freedom. Their own self-interest keeps them. And, you know, our our, uh, Occupy Wall Street friends would say that uh, the American people were chained by their um, chained by all these invisible hands. But the Soviet defectors were like no in the soviet union you are not allowed to do this you are expected you're expected to present your card from when you leave here and when you arrive there and that seems that's that like you're saying that is a way of controlling fear and and a natural one to to try you know mm-hmm. a natural one to try out like well why don't we get why don't we give everybody an appointment every day if we can why would we let everybody just run around um, now that we have the power to forbid it? What if we made everybody do something? What if, what, what if we had one guy on the top? What if, what if Mao is the one that, that says everybody, everybody make a home iron smelter? You know this story, right? Oh yeah, yeah. You, need, you have basically the equivalent of a Weber grill. Uh, nobody's eaten in weeks, and then you're yeah. supposed to make industrial grade steel on a Weber grill in your on yard. A Weber grill or Ceausescu, who was, you know, his car would drive through the drive drive through the farmlands in November, and he would say, "Why are there no apples on the trees?" And they, you know, people would like uh, people would be put in front of a firing squad. Well, why are there no apples on the trees? Well, it's November. Oh my lord. But you know what? I, what I'm saying, like the, the uh, we have learned through hard experience that you put one guy on the top of a human pile and it doesn't turn out that way. Right. But it doesn't turn out so well. But but before anybody had tried it with modern technology, it it, it probably seemed like like the problem of kings had been solved. The problem of despots could finally be solved because there would be a like a paper trail there would be accountability by virtue of records and ledgers did you read that article i sent you a few months ago when you were you were talking about you know everybody hates bureaucracy until they go to romania and you drive into a sewer <laughs> right, right right or you or or you go you go to the you go to the office of uh, missing missing sewer caps and you say hey there's a missing sewer cap and the, they throw they, you on the sewer <laughs> yeah <laughs> the guy is just somebody's brother-in-law and he's like ah, you know but i sent you that article because it was a i haven't read the book but there was a great review of this book about the history of bureaucracy and how bureaucracy as we know it today 
you know, is, is a long damn side off from where it's what it started out as, which I guess is a what a French Revolution idea of saying, well, we this paper trail is what's going to keep these people honest. That, that that was the whole idea of what we now call bureaucracy, not not in terms of literally the bureau, not in terms of like having the the pyramid like structure of a of a large organization, but the idea of a paper trail it was was meant to be extremely democratic. It was yeah. the idea that you know if everybody has to sign all of these receipts, nobody's going to be able to get away with it, get, right. get away with shit, right? And 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 ultimately, and my my feeling is that bureaucracy is incredibly democratic. But this is the argument that we're having in America now. The 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 two. The two sides of, and I think it's an it's an argument that's happening in every democracy around the around the world. It's just like there are people who want there that are there are people who want the government to be activist over here and to be uh, laissez faire over here, and then their opponents feel the opposite way. And they everybody wants an activist government somewhere, and then they want the government to leave them alone in this other way. And I think that that is. That's what feels healthy about democracy to me right now. I mean, I guess if I watched cable news, I could put this to the test better. But my, my gut is that – I don't know. Uh, my gut is that there are people out there who the, – the people who feel most strongly about the government clamping down on somebody are also some of the people who are the most strident about wanting the government to stay the fuck out of this other piece of their life. Sure. In a absolutely. big way. It seems to me like, like the stop most... all those abortions, but don't touch my guns. Boy, is that ever a broad stereotype? But that, that's the feeling that I get is that there's like, why are you, why are you messing around with my personal freedom stuff when you should be taking away personal freedoms from all these people over here? And, it's, and that's exactly right. I mean, libertarianism at its core, I don't see how a single, I don't see how a libertarian could be opposed to gay, gay marriage in any way, shape or form because the government should get out of the business of regulating. It seems like a, like a, a, a an almost comically easy idea of what yeah. libertarianism would be for. Right. It's but, like literally harming no one. But in fact, you know, the the self-identified libertarians are all, you know, the, the the Venn diagram overlaps with the crowd that wants to the wants the government to really really restrict what what people are able to do in their bedrooms or or with their bodies. So it's a funny business, and you know it was only it was only fifty years ago when most Republicans didn't care what you did in your in your oh, Jesus. In, in your apartment. It's so depressing, isn't and it? it was, depressing? It was the Democrats that were so worried about who you were sleeping with. It's so depressing that the Republicans of like nineteen. I mean, you know, setting aside some of the nut jobs, but by and large, you know, the Republicans of the mid twentieth century were were better Democrats than the liberals of the early twenty first century. It's true. And there's such you know, nut. Everybody's just such a nut job now. I mean, but he's such so a like, nut job, such a nut job. Oh, um, uh, can I tell you, um, first of all, I'm going to go find this uh, world of war. Uh, they're so, all such nut oh, jobs. Such nut and jobs. We're the only ones that have any fucking thing sane to say. I want to help them. You and I are a couple of nut jobs. A couple of just nut jobs. That's the problem. We're, we are fucking nut jobs. We, you know what we are? We're ranting on the internet we're about fuck, shit. holy shit, John. We're fucking nut jobs. We're a couple of fucking nuts. Holy shit! I think we might be nut jobs. Internet nut jobs. Hmm? Uh, you know, you know what has never gotten uh, the the uh, the uh, the at least to me it's something I wish I had known about that I didn't know about. Um, one of my favorite episodes of that World of War is the Project Overlord, like the day of, like the setup and what happens. So I, exciting! So I got into. Oh my god! I got into it after I watched. So I go through these jags. I don't know why I've been into movies lately. It's probably my diet. Yeah. But I watched uh I watched the longest day two days in a row. Uh-huh. And then and, uh-huh. and it's Good. it's like four hours long. <laughs> no, no, it's now, only have, three wait, hours. Have you right? watched a bridge too far? Yes. 
Uh-huh. Yes, and I see Rich on the Richard River Kwai. I did a quick calculation based on IMDb, and, I, and if I kept at my current pace of two to three World War II movies a day, I had about another month and a half left of, of war but movies. Before, before you had watched more movies than the actual length of World War II? <laughs> Turns out! <laughs> uh, <yeah>. mm. <laughs> okay, that could be a stop. But... <laughs>